evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each year, Pat hosts an apologetics conference located in beautiful Hawaii. Today, we are continuing our broadcast with a great teaching from our host, Pat. He is sharing a message entitled, The Transgender Debate, taken from the 2018 Evidence and Answers Apologetics Conference. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, with the conclusion to this message, is our host, Pat. Well, what's the Bible say on this issue? Well, God has a definite blueprint that is created in us. Male and female are not artificial categories. They are part of the very image of God. The two are not interchangeable. It's God's blueprint. It's His intended design. Genesis chapter 2, He says, He created them in His image, male and female. All right? Both men and women are created in the image of God. Your biological makeup is part of the very image of God in you. Okay? And our anatomies tell us what gender we are. The Bible doesn't separate sex and gender. Again, okay? we're, we're learning. It's not only anatomy. It's chemistry. It's emotions. It's thinking. Okay? It's our very, it goes down to our very chromosomes, our DNA. We are designed different. In Genesis she was created as a helpmate for man. The two are different, and they complement one another. So to go against God's design or God's blueprint is to go against His very design. The Bible teaches that men and women are equal but different. Okay? Our differences extend to the deepest level of our beings, our very DNA, our brains, our voices, our body shapes our muscular strength, reproductive systems, all right? It's in God's very design. So although different in function, both are equal in worth. The Bible does not separate sex and gender. To bring more children into the world, a man needs a woman and a woman needs a man, all right? And to fulfill that mission of be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth to fulfill God's mandate requires a man and a woman. So for us to fulfill the mission for which God designed us requires a man and a woman. For a child to know the tremendous value and the unique aspects of a man and a woman the most healthiest environment for them to grow up in is with a father and with a mother. Now, some of the transgender arguments say, well, Jesus never said anything about transgenderism. Well, Jesus didn't say anything about pedophilia. Is that okay? Jesus didn't say anything specifically about polygamy or child abuse. Okay, that's a really weak argument. But Jesus does indeed say things about sexuality. In Mark 19, Jesus is asked, 
Okay, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? The law allows us to give them a certificate of divorce. And Jesus says, yes, that was because of your hardened hearts. But from the very beginning, and he quotes the Genesis account, God created them male and female. He affirms the Genesis creation account and that God created two sexes, male and female. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And what God is joined together, let no man separate. He affirms then marriage is between a man and a woman. And he affirms that sexual union is between a man and a woman in a marriage covenant only. And the marriage covenant creates that one flesh unity that only can come in a marriage between a man and a woman. It doesn't happen of people of same sex. Okay, if you look at all the studies, monogamy doesn't exist in the gay community. That's a myth, okay? And you can listen to our shows on uh, homosexuality on that. Why? Because that mystical union doesn't occur between people of the same sex. Okay? That's why promiscuity in the gay community is 100%. That mystical union happens between a man and a woman because that's how God designed it. There is no sexual or marital relationship other than biblical marriage. When uh, the woman was caught in adultery, Jesus tells her, go and sin no more. She was in a sexual relationship with someone other than her husband. Jesus affirms biblical marriage. The Samaritan woman at the well, living with someone else other than her husband. Jesus okay, rebuked her for that, thus affirming male and female sexuality and the covenant of marriage. Now, the biblical critique of transgenderism is this then. The gender identity struggle, it's a real struggle. It's a painful struggle. But it's not the way God created you originally. Okay? It's a result of the fall. And just because one feels the struggle does not mean one should feed it. Because of the fall, we are born sometimes with dispositions that are healthy and some that are unhealthy. If you're of Okinawan blood, Okinawans are hot-blooded, or you, know, you might say Italians are, or whatever. You might have that in your DNA. Okay? You're, you're born hot-blooded. Does it mean it's okay for me to be violent then? Does it mean it's okay for me to beat my wife, beat my children, just because I'm, I'm born that way? I'm hot-blooded. No, we do everything we can. Okay? Even if you're predisposed that way, that's part of the fall. We do everything we can to control that and get you back in a more healthy direction. We know that there are children born addicted to cocaine, right? Cocaine babies. That's undisputed. What do we do then? Do we say, okay, here, have cocaine. Have all the cocaine you want. You're born that way. No, we do everything we can to rehabilitate and move you into a more healthy and right direction. Just because you're born with that struggle, if it's an unhealthy disposition you have, doesn't mean we're going to feed it. We do everything we can to get you moving in the right direction. Remember, the struggle may be exacerbated by cultural norms, okay? I talked to many young people today, and the, and the good thing is that many young people are more open about it, and a lot of them will come to me and say, I think I'm a girl, or I think I'm gay. And I'll look at the guy and I say, why do you think you're a girl? Why do you think you're gay? Well, I don't like football. I don't like basketball. I don't like any sports. Well, what do you like? I like the arts. You know, I like to paint. I like to draw. Okay, that doesn't mean you're gay. It just means you're a very artsy guy. You know, 
I remember in California, I was talking to a couple guys, and they said, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't play basketball or anything. We, we hang out and we like music. We play music. So we think we're gay. And I said, well, I mean, you're gay. This means you're a very artsy, musical guy. Brad is a manly man. Guy plays the piano. Great at the piano. I mean, he's, you know, gay. He's just a guy that loves music. Or I'll talk to girls, and they'll say, you know what, I think I'm gay. I think I'm a lesbian. I think I'm a man. Why? Well, I like to play soccer. I don't like to play dolls or dress up. And I like playing soccer. I don't like playing with the girls, man. I like playing with the guys. They're better. You know, give me more of a challenge. Okay. I mean, you're gay. You're just a very athletic girl. So we got to make sure that it's not exacerbated, you know, by our cultural norms. As a youth pastor, you know, I always made that mistake. I always tried to get guys to get out there and play basketball and wrestle with the guys all the time. And, you know, I'd always say, I'm going to make a man out of you or whatever. Oh, wrong, okay? you got artsy guys that can be very masculine according to what the Bible teaches. It's not about playing basketball or watching Rambo or doing MMA. Gender is part of God's blueprint then, and it cannot be changed. Paul McHugh one of the most respected psychiatrists, founder of John Hopkins Medical School of Psychiatry, has been speaking out on this topic for over 30 years as a lone voice in the whole medical arena. And he says this, as one of the most esteemed psychiatrists of our time, he says, transgendered men do not become women, nor do transgendered women become men, all including Bruce Jenner, become feminized men or masculinized women, counterfeits or impersonators of the sex with which they identify. Tom Renke writes this, chromosomes cannot be re-engineered, removed or scrubbed from the software of our bodies. It may be possible for a trans woman to pass for a woman on the street at the visual level, but it is not possible for a man to morph himself into a biological woman with all the experiences and functions of natural femaleness. The biological narrative doesn't exist. While medical advances make it possible to suppress or change some of the outward appearances of our bodies and change our patterns of speech and dress, it is not possible to raise our bodies to the ground and rebuild them without shortcutting all the essential formative experiences that make the biological sex expression and gender authentic. As a result of trying to do these gender reassignment surgeries, we have had some tragic results. Q did a study, a follow-up of adults who had undergone these sex change operations to determine whether the surgery was beneficial in the long term. And the results showed that most did not appear to have benefited psychologically. He says, they had much the same problems with relationships, works, and emotions as before. The hope that they would emerge now from their emotional difficulties to flourish psychologically has not been fulfilled. He also writes, transitioning treatment has not been shown to reduce the extraordinarily high rate of suicide attempts among people who identify as transgender, 41% compared to just 4.6% of the general population. In fact, people who have had transition surgery are 19 times more likely than the average to die by suicide. And McHugh concluded in his study, we have wasted scientific and technical resources and damaged our professional credibility in collaborating with madness 
rather than trying to study, cure, and ultimately prevent it. And then we have a rising increase of what's called sex change regret. A professor, and I can't say his name, Miroslav, what, Jordev, Jordev, whatever. Hey, Dr. D, we'll call him. He's an acclaimed surgeon and researcher who performs 100 sex change surgeries a year. And he laments now over the growing number and lack of research on transgender people changing their minds and undergoing surgery re reversal. Dr. D says he sees a growing number of patients expressing regret about their gender reassignment and wanted detransitional surgery. And many patients report suffering from crippling depression and suicidal thoughts even after surgery. So the idea that this surgery would bring you greater peace and joy indeed has not come to pass. Another problem that he mentions is the growing pressure of medical doctors to treat younger and younger patients. He says in the last 20 years, the average age of his patients dropped from 45 to 21. Now, Walt Hare, a former transgender person, says his life was devastated by gender transition. And he's been writing about the problem for the last 10 years. He says, the well-respected surgeon, Dr. D, and the psychotherapist, James Caspian, are discovering what I have known all along. Regret and detransitions are on the rise because too many gender-affirming surgeries are performed on people who do not need them. So, what is the Christian response to the whole transgender issue? How do we respond to this? Well, on a personal level. The biblical response, of course, is to love those struggling with this issue. This is a real issue, and it's a painful issue, okay? Something we don't want to laugh at, okay? Because it's a real painful thing, and many young people especially are struggling with this issue. Dignity. All people are made in the image of God, and should be treated with dignity. People who have come out of the gay movement into the church or the transgender issue all said the same. You know, a lot of their testimonies are the same. Listen to mine with uh, Taylor Mahi, who came out of this movement. And he said he was attracted to the church because the people in the church loved him as a person. He wasn't gay Taylor, transgender Taylor. He was Taylor. And they loved me for who I was. Now, after I accepted Christ, now we began dealing with the sin issues in my life. But the sin wasn't what defined me. People loved me and accepted me for who I am. And later began addressing the issues I was facing. You have to learn to empathize with those struggling with this issue. Empathy means to love someone, working hard to relate to them. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So it means as much as possible okay, to try and see things from their perspective and understand the things that they have gone through that contributes to their struggle here. Next, we're to present the truth in love. Now today, Christian speaking truth in love is often called hate speech. But if we accept the authority of the Bible, we have to understand that affirming people that is in a way contrary to what the Bible teaches and is ultimately harmful is actually not loving. 
So if I affirm transgenderism, I'm actually doing an unloving thing. I am withholding truth because I value my own reputation or my own relationship or my comforts more than I value the eternal happiness and welfare of the person made in God's image who's standing right in front of me. So love means a willingness to get to know the person and hear their story and to lovingly and humbly share the truth despite the effects it may have on that relationship. And to always present truth with great humility, not in a condescending or dismissive way, but to be able to come alongside them as a fellow sinner and say, hey, I'm struggling and I'm on the journey with you and I'm willing to walk down this difficult road alongside you. The challenge for the church is this. The church needs to be a safe place for people to talk about gender dysphoria. Is it a safe place where a young person can go up to the pastor or associate pastor or, or their Sunday school teacher and say, hey, I'm struggling on this issue. I think I'm a girl or I think I'm a guy. Is it a safe place or are they going to feel they're going to be totally condemned and uh, dismissed from the church? You know, is, is it a safe place where gays, alcoholics, and those struggling with sin can come and wrestle with those issues and, and be open with someone they can trust about it and begin that journey as a disciple of Christ down that road to holiness and becoming more like Christ. We need to be listening communities. James says what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And listen and, and understand the struggle. It's a real struggle. Okay? We need to listen to the hard truths of their experience and really demonstrate the love of Christ to them. It needs to be a patient community willing to walk alongside for the long haul. This took years to be in this struggle. It's going to take years walking down that difficult path to becoming more like Christ and leaving this sin behind. We're willing to walk alongside them in these dark days and very difficult struggle. And finally, to be communities of grace where we say, you know, we're sinners too. And we all struggle with sin and we're willing to come alongside you and walk with you if you'll walk with me also on my journey as we battle against the flesh and sin and walk down the path of holiness to becoming more like Christ. Tremendous challenge for the church. If a transgender person were to walk into your church today, how would you respond? Are you willing and ready and able to receive him and walk down that long path to recovery with him. That's a great challenge for all of us, you know, as believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Any questions on what we covered so far? Any questions at all? Can a transgender person be a Christian? Okay, that's just like, you know, can someone practicing homosexuality or alcoholism or whatever be a Christian? Christians, we're all sinners. Right? So when we come to Christ, we have the flesh we're still battling against. So a transgender person can, if they've truly trusted in Christ, they can be a Christian. The thing is, one of the things about becoming a Christian is what? Repenting and turning from sin. So if they're struggling with that issue, they're convicted, feel guilty about it, feel bad about it, and they're struggling with it. You know, I, I believe they've genuinely accepted Christ, and they're struggling, and we need to come alongside with them in that struggle. But 
Okay, if they say, yeah, I received Christ, but there's no regret in their life, there's no desire to change their lifestyle, they don't seem sorry about their past or anything, and they're continuing in that sin with just no regret, then I would question if they truly accepted Christ or not. First John says, if we say we are in the light, but we walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. So if a person has truly received Christ, then there ought to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God working on them. And, and you'll see them, they start really struggling with that whole issue. But if, they're not, if there's no struggle at all, no repentance, no remorse, don't have a problem with it, continue in their ways, uh, you may want to question whether they truly receive Christ or not. Now, any others? Okay, wow, wow. Okay, we're going to end with this. Two tough questions, okay? First, does a person have a choice, okay, whether it be transgender or not? We have not proven, just like the gay gene, we have not proven people are born gay. You know, the LaVey study failed, the Bailey, Pillard, Bailey twin study, you know. We have not seen a biological connection, okay, that you're born this way. I think Colin Powell said it best. He said, African American is what I am. I'm born that way, I can't change it. He said, my sexuality is something I choose. He says they're two different things. For example, I can never become ex-Asian. That's what I am. I can never become ex-Asian. But we have a lot who were ex-gay or left the transgender movement. So that, that shows you okay, that perhaps right now there's no biological connection that way that says you have to be in that direction. You may be predisposed, okay, but it seems like you know, that's ultimately a choice that we make. Now, even if, even if, we could prove you're born that way. You're born gay, you're born, oh, uh, you know, transgender or whatever. Even if we could prove that, even if we could. Is that a healthy lifestyle that we want to encourage in that direction? I don't think so, don't think so, okay? For example, babies that are born addicted to cocaine, all right, that's not disputed. Even if they're born that way, do we say, well, you're born that way here, cocaine, man, all you want. No, we say, hey, you're born that way. That's not a healthy disposition to have. Let's redirect you and try to get you moving in a more healthy direction. So right now, what we can see, there's a lot of factors involved, you know, how you grow up, you know, your emotional makeup, all of that. But ultimately, it seems like we have a control, ultimate say in the sexual choices we make. And then finally, we'll end on this question. You, you're with a transgender family member and they're having a wedding. You know, he's changed into a woman, and now he is marrying a man, okay, or, or whatever, or vice versa, okay? Would you attend that wedding? That one I'm going to have to punt, okay, and say it's how the Holy Spirit leads you, you know? If you can say, I don't approve of this, but I come because I love you and I want to be a part of your life, okay, but I'm not going to be in the wedding party, or anything, I'll sit in a pew and, and, and I'll love you and I'll be there for you. Or some of you may say, wow, this is an attack on God's institution and the image of God and I, 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 this is not legit. I can't, I can't attend this. And so it may ruin our relationship, but I, I, I can't, I just can't attend this. Those are the two basic responses, you know, of Christians. And I guess you're going to have to decide which one that you want to be a part of. I haven't had to face that problem yet. I've been invited to a couple of gay weddings, but unfortunately, 
I was out of town. And I, I didn't plan it that way. I just, I just was. But would I have gone? Gosh, I don't know. I, I, I probably may not have gone, you know, just because it's, uh, I feel it's such an attack on God's institution. That's when the Holy Spirit's going to have to lead, lead you on that one. All right. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. We'll see you again. Once again, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, please give him a call. Locally, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Evidence.